and it's about time for true crime hey hey how are you guys happy freaking new year welcome to 2023 we're so happy to be here with you it's a new year new era same us though don't worry same us don't worry yeah no we stay the same pretty much yeah no we're not we're still the same yep and the same person and we've remained in both we're still sharing the same three brain cells here oh gosh yeah I mean, we we do process them different, but they really are the same three brain cells. Just bouncing off the walls. Allie and I were separated for the holidays, but... We're surviving. We did have like a two-hour FaceTime. My parents were like, you were on the phone a long time. I was like... Yes. That's just how it goes. (laughs) And I love Mr. and Mrs. Abeldabelson. Oh my gosh, I love Mr. and Mrs. Allie. That's it. (laughs) Allie-oop. Do I have any fun nicknames for you? No. I mean, besides just like two and a half feet tall. Yeah, other than you asshole. <laughs> All right, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. Oh, That's no. one of my resolutions for 2023. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Um, but you guys, as the pod, we have some collective resolutions for the new year. We do, and we have some updates to fill you in on as well. So we have been working on these for quite a while, and there is definitely more to come. So... Just bear all of this in mind. It's good news. Yes. So we will be stepping back just a little bit. So don't worry. We're not going anywhere. We'll still be with you every single week. But we are going to go down to one episode a week. And really, our goal in this is to be able to focus more specifically on the cases that we're covering. We want to do deeper dives when we're giving you cases. And doing two episodes a week didn't leave a whole lot of time to really get as deep as we wanted to. And... It didn't allow us to get as deep into the subjects as we wanted to, but also, basically, by doing this, it allows Allie and I to focus some of our time spent on the podcast to be a little more dedicated to the actual episodes that we're airing and to have some more of that administrative background work go on a little more seamlessly for you guys. So it'll make a little bit of a better experience, and it also means that we'll be able to do perhaps a little bit longer of episodes. Just Sheerly due to the fact that we're focusing on that one topic for that week. But like Ali said, don't worry. We're not going anywhere. We're not leaving you. And we now that we've got over 50 episodes, which I still can't believe that. Yes. Now that we've got that, we do have I what I think is a pretty decent catalog to go back and re-listen to some. And, you know, I know that with all things, we get better with age. We get better with time. And so I do think like wine and cheese. (laughs) The more you let us sit, the better we get. (laughs) (laughs) but I think that there has been a lot of really positive change from our very first few episodes I think we've really found our groove and now I kind of want to hone in on that a little bit more and really be able to sit with the cases longer because doing one well doing two every single week could almost be a little spread thin and we don't want to do that and that's not fair to you guys who we get to hang out with every week and so really we just want to take the time to focus more but again this isn't bad news we're not going anywhere we're just going to make sure that the episodes that we do give you are a little bit longer a little bit more thorough and with that admin work that we do behind the scenes you just you hang in there with us because we promise positive other changes are coming as well so not only are you going to get better episodes that are a little more in depth, a little longer, um, and perhaps a little more streamlined. Like, I don't know if you know, uh, (laughs) me and all of my ADHD tangents, but (laughs) ideally being able to sit down and dedicate more of our time to these subjects and these episodes, it'll be a better flow. It'll be a little more cohesive and we can see ourselves grow even further than we already have, which we're just so grateful that you guys have stuck with us this far and we're excited to see where it goes with you. We really couldn't love you guys more. And again, I feel like we say this at least every couple of episodes, but we're so grateful to just get the time to hang out with you that we do and that we get to talk about these very difficult, very important subjects and conversations to have and also have some lighthearted, necessary humor in there too to just make it a little bit more bearable because these things aren't easy to talk about, but they are important to talk about. And I'm sure as any of you have heard, Whenever you see or hear any true crime media, it is so incredibly difficult to honor the victims, feel and grieve the things that you need to feel and grieve in each of these stories and do it in a respectful and enjoyable manner, if that makes sense. Enjoyable, not so much in that we're enjoying the actual story, but that we're enjoying the 
fascination of the topics. And I want to make sure that we are doing everybody justice here, including victims. And both of us just felt like doing surface level, not getting as deep in there, not being able to put our everything into each of these cases was really doing a disservice to us, you guys, and specifically the victims. Because really, one of the things I think that sets our podcast apart is the fact that we make sure you have all of our sources, you know where we're getting our information and we're trying to be as honest and accurate in our depictions as possible. But also that we really try to take that time to feel for the actual victims, the true crime victims, are the, the people that are murdered in each of our episodes, their family, their surviving friends and loved ones. And we don't want to do any disservice to the people that we are empathizing with during all of these. So, And we certainly take a different lens when we are talking about these cases because between Abby and I, we've got over a decade of education in the field. We've got thousands on thousands of hours of worked experience in the field we both work in recovery support as well so we've got sort of a different lens and so we want to make sure that these perspectives that we offer that we're doing justice to describe our perspective on these things and to really feel what the people that we're talking about have felt right at least my thing is always I gotta close my eyes I gotta put myself there I need to try to understand what that felt like because otherwise I feel like we're just missing something right well and empathy is such a powerful tool that I think that we incorporate quite frequently but I'm sure you guys all can you know connect with us on the fact that a lot of our feedback is so positive on our deep dives on things that we go balls to the walls into to mm-hmm. make sure that we're giving you as much as we can as accurate as we can in the best uh comprehensible story that we can put it into and we want to make sure again you guys are getting quality but that also we're proud of the quality we're putting out and we are mm-hmm. but we're also looking for ways to grow that so we are so incredibly grateful for all of you that are out there and we just don't want you to think we're going anywhere or that it's going to get worse or go away we're only going to bigger and better things in 2023 of course and if you want to help support us hell yeah um we would totally encourage you to check out our red bubble store if you just type in the little search bubble <laughs> get it bubble yeah. on red bubble and you do atftc pod uh you'll get our stickers and things like that and we would just love for you guys to check those out um We've designed everything ourselves. Heck yeah. And we would just love to share that with you. And you can check out our link tree and our Instagram page. We're going to utilize that more. And I don't know. I think that's a lot of admin stuff. I think we should get into our case. All right. Well, you guys, you know this. Allie knows a little bit of it. But we are going to talk about the Black Dahlia today. I am so excited. So this true crime story is actually one of the few at the beginning that really got me hooked. And I think a lot of people probably have that experience with this one. It's been so glamorized and so um, mystified almost. It's almost become like true crime legend, if you will, because it is over 70 years old and unsolved and heinous, like absolutely heinous. And I'm really excited to talk about it because I think doing the research on this case is one of the first times I really got through the thick of the persuasion pieces and to actual information, Mm. which was wild for me to hear because I really, like I said, I really liked this case. I listened to a bunch of episodes on it. I've heard it on unsolved crime. I know I heard it on, um, my favorite murder. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was really one of those first like, oof, I got like I need to know that curiosity like really overtook. It's like me. another John Bonet where it's like, how is this unsolved? Yes. We need to solve this. <laughs> yes, and I think that a lot of this one can really come down truly to just the timing. But I do want to talk about it. I want to get into the whole thing. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about the death of Elizabeth Short, but. Just a little asterisk. There actually have been a few Black Dahlia murders that are deemed that way. Mm. This is the one from the 1940s. I believe it's the original. It's the Black Dahlia Hollywood one that everybody thinks about. Yes. Um, 
But there have been a few, I think, of like, you know, other victims that are deemed that by press names that aren't the OG Mm -hmm. from back in the day. So last week I brought you one that was still ongoing. This week I'm actually taking us a whole hundred years back. Love that. So today we're talking about Elizabeth Short. While some may recognize her as a Hollywood star or star wannabe, as the news articles would have you believe, Elizabeth was born on July 9th, 1924 in Boston, Massachusetts. So represent my girl. Beth was straight up born the middle child. She was the third of five daughters born to Cleo Short and Phoebe May Sawyer. Mm. Eventually, the couple settled in Medford, Massachusetts, and Cleo was a wild man. Um, actually, this is nuts. They had a pretty good income, and he was I, someone important in an industry building miniature golf courses. Okay. Which is a wild thing to make money at. Which is just like normal golf courses to me, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I figured you were going to say it, so I'm just going to say it. So fuck you. I didn't have that in here at all. <laughs> Thank you. Shit. <laughs> but um, this is, as you might have noted, from the time period, the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties. But you know what came after the Roaring Twenties? Yeah. The Great Depression. Yeah. And uh Cleo really felt that he actually lost his job and the market crashed in 1929. So as we're going into the depression in the 30s, we're also seeing Cleo get depressed, which Don't go into his own depression. Literally, who hasn't you? But <laughs> Cleo wasn't doing so hot. And eventually in 1930, Cleo, who was Elizabeth's father, his car was found abandoned on the Charleston Bridge. Ooh. And they had all, for all intents and purposes, assumed that he had jumped and taken his own life. Okay. No body was found. They didn't bother sweeping the river because at this time, unfortunately, suicide rates were pretty much through the roof because it was the Great Fucking Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, both financially and emotionally i'm sure for everybody there like things were not going well so they never found him but his car's just parked there i mean i can see where they get that okay elizabeth who liked to go by beth her life got increasingly difficult by the age of just six oh and her mother phoebe was a fucking badass and was like all right guess we're doing it without him and as a single mother of five girls in the 1930s got a little job as a bookkeeper, supported her family. They moved into a tiny apartment in Medford, Mass. Medford. Yeah. And she fucking did the damn thing, which is sick. Like, Phoebe is ideal as a human being in this whole case. She does not get the kind of hand she deserves. Wow. So, at 15, Beth had an awful bout of what seemed like chronic, constant bronchitis and asthma. She actually ended up having to get lung surgery. And after she was in the hospital, I shit you not, one of the prescriptions that they tell you after you got lung surgery at this time was to go south. You need some humid, hot air. Oh, okay. I don't think I'd want lung surgery in the 30s. No. I don't know. No. I don't think that sounds safe. I hope they gave her something, but she did actually end up having to spend the next three winters of her life down in Florida. I can see that. The cold up here is pretty gnarly. It is. It's harsh and it's dry. The poor so. thing had to spend the winters in Florida. Oh, boo-hoo. She had to go to Miami and she had to summer in Miami. Oh, no. <laughs> but she did with some family friends and you might think, huh? Going south every winter? How the hell is she going to do school? Well, she didn't. She actually dropped out in her sophomore year from Medford High School. Okay. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. And Beth is 18. Okay. She's the third of five girls. So she still has two younger sisters around. Probably also going to school at Medford High School like she was. Um, Maybe they fight. Maybe she and her mom don't get along so well. Like She's a teenager. Like, Mm -hmm. this is kind of her life. And Phoebe's just doing her best and what she can. And one day in 1942, she gets a letter. Mm -hmm. She's like, all right, this is kind of weird. And she opens it up because it's not like she's expecting mail from anyone. And it's the 40s. So pretty much the only time you're getting 
letters you're not expecting are if they're from someone in your family or that you're close to that was participating in World War II, which, mm-hmm. by the way, like 10% of Americans were actively fighting mm-hmm. or engaged part in of the war some effort. sort. Right. Yeah. And that's not just like grow your own vegetables to reduce food weight. Like not that part, but actively involved. Mm-hmm. And it impacted everyone. So I'm sure this was actually probably nerve wracking to sure. get an unexpected letter. But she opens it up and you want to guess who it's from? Who was it from? Cleo. You're kidding me. No. No, it was over a decade after he left, and he was just like, um, yeah, so I just, like, kind of restarted over in California. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. What and a he piece was like, of shit. can I come home? And Phoebe was like, fuck no, you can't come home. The <laughs> like, kids are raised absolutely not. Yeah. But, actually, it seems that our girl Beth was the only one in their family to accept the apology. Okay, Beth. I know. Maybe not her best move. Questionable. She hadn't seen her dad since she was six. And just this is the questionable part to me. She just straight up moved in with him. Oh, God. Yeah. So she hadn't seen him in 12 years and just moves to Vallejo, California. Okay. And that's a move. Yes. And he was working at a naval shipyard. And it sounds like they still got into plenty of arguments. And as you can expect, like a teenager. Walking into a home where somebody who has literally no authority in the household because he left 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's not going to go out so well. Of course not. And she actually ended up leaving in 1943. So she moved out. But she moved out. So she needed a new job. And this is very interesting. So in 1943, it's January. And she applies to basically what is like a... Ex- an exchange camp or essentially like retail-esque store, but it was on a military base. Mm -hmm. So it used to be called Camp Cook. And of course, if you're going to work for the government, work in anything military, they take your fingerprints Mm -hmm. and your background. So she obviously needed a background check. Her fingerprints were sent in and she started working. And as far as we know, she seemed to like it to the point that eventually she did have some allegations of being assaulted. Okay. Granted, I don't know if this was physical assault or sexual assault. I did try to find that. Maybe I missed it. If I didn't, you guys know, let me know. But I could not figure out what it was. I was looking for like court documents or something. Mm -hmm. I got nothing. So she reported that she was in some way attacked. Yes. Okay. And this led her to leaving, which is, I think, completely understandable, especially if it's, you know, the truth and it's out there somewhere. I just don't know what happened. So she moved out to Santa Barbara, but our little troublemaker was drinking underage and she got arrested. Oh, Beth. However, because it's a status offense, she just wasn't 21. This is what, 1943? So 17? No, 18, 19, Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, She was just told to go back to Massachusetts. So instead of getting put in the system, they were like, you know what, whatever, just go home to your family. Like where you were raised. Okay. But our little girl didn't do that. Oh, no. Beth went to Florida, which honestly kind of makes sense to me. She already kind of knew it. Yeah. She had family friends down there that she would stay with. She knew her way around. It was better for her lungs. Like, I actually quite get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one was really following up with her. So right. we don't know a whole lot other than she visited her family a few times, but really lived in Florida. And so while in Florida, she... She actually started to see things look up. Um, Beth met a man who she was into. Mm-hmm. So his name was Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. Which, by the way, when I first typed this, I forgot about the name Matthew and I just typed Michael Gordon. And I was like, Are you, I cannot do that. I can't <laughs> say Michael Gordon and not think Michael Jordan and feel like <laughs> I'm just saying it wrong. But it's Matthew Gordon. <laughs> Matthew Michael. That is three first names. It is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm surprised the story isn't about him. Um, <laughs> just kidding. He seemed, by all intents and purposes, to be great. So, according to Beth, and now I will say, I don't know if this is confirmed. 
I don't think this ever was confirmed to be real. I know plenty of people have their doubts about it. I'm not going to go out and say that it obviously was fake or real or anything, but I'm just going to tell you about Matthew Gordon. Beth. So Beth said that her and Matthew Gordon ended up meeting while she was in Florida, and he actually ended up going off to serve in the Second World War, as a lot of Americans did at this time. And they must have liked each other very much because he actually wrote to her the whole time. And she said that he would like tear out little poems from books and send them to her in the mail. And they were quite fond of each other. And actually, he even ended up proposing marriage in one of his letters. Well, that's very sweet. Yes. He had been injured in a plane crash. And in his recovery, he was like, yeah, no, I want to get married. But. Our lovers kind of made a tragic end because a week before the end of the war, he died in another plane crash in August. Oh, God. Yeah. So Beth's life has not been easy. Like her childhood was difficult. And I think this is really important to note because I feel like this case gets lumped in with like a lot of Hollywood glam and all of the lore of that time. And While Beth was a waitress and seemingly a budding actress, she wasn't a celebrity. She wasn't Hollywood glam or a housewood name. She was genuinely just a girl trying her best, Mm -hmm. like trying to figure out their next right step. And in 1946, she moved to Los Angeles. And I think this is actually what really kind of started to pull things together for her. It seemed like she was trying to find some peace with her life and Apparently, her journey to L.A. started with the intent to visit another lieutenant, Joseph Fickling, that Mm. she had met and kind of had the hots for. Um, But she just ended up kind of staying. And it seems like that fizzled out. I don't think that ever became anything serious. But she worked as a waitress and rented a cute little apartment on Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. Yeah. So I want to just say at this point in time, From my research, from the research of those people that I respect, it does not actually seem like there is any evidence here that Beth was working in the sex work realm at all. Okay. I have heard reports that she was. There was a lot of controversy around her and how she lived her life after all of this came out because God forbid we ever leave somebody with their dignity after they pass. But Beth was... As far as I know, truly just a waitress doing her best, trying to make ends meet. She was a little bit of a drifter for a while, it sounds like, from the other accounts that I've heard just saying that, you know, she didn't hold down one spot too long. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like she always landed on her feet and she was doing the best she could. I mean, it's the 40s and she's mourning a fiancé. She has had a very difficult childhood and she's effectively on her own. So from what I've seen, really the worst I can say of her endeavors has been lying to her mom in some letters home saying that things were better than they were. Right. And, you know, that's not to say that you should lie to your parents or that you should do anything or not do anything. But I do think that it's worth noting she was just a freaking person doing her best. And how old is she at this point? She is 22. Okay. And we're going to flash forward to January of 1947. Okay. Okay. We're going to put a little pin in Beth, leave her in Los Angeles where she was working a little waitress job and being cute as hell. And like she was known to be very, um, I want to say like inspired, but some people would say she kind of told tall tales, but I think maybe just exaggerated things and was like, well, I have a lovely husband here and like I'm into this boy and I'm doing this thing and my life is great. And then she's just practicing for her little acting job. She's just faking it till she makes it. And you know what? We've all been there, (laughs) but she was faking it till she made it. So we're just putting a little pin in there. She's working her waitress jobs, hanging out around movie theaters, trying to find people. And it's January. Phoebe Short. We're back in Medford. Medford. And Phoebe gets a phone call. She picks it up. And this man says that he wanted to tell her that Beth won a beauty contest. Okay. And she was like, awesome. Like, that's great for her. She's beautiful. Everybody here knew her as like this beautiful girl destined Mm -hmm. for bigger and better things. And he basically is charming her and asks for her background. He wants to write up this article at the LA Times and like wants oh, to get no. it out. And This sounds fake. 
Mm, well, she ends up telling him all of this background, all of the stories about Beth, how cute she was. No, Phoebe. Like, the little things that she would do and how they just all knew this was coming no for Phoebes. her. No Phoebes. And at the end of this phone call, this fucking asshole was like, yeah, that was a lie. She's dead. I wanted it for the story. Bye. <gasps> yeah. That's how her mother found out that she was murdered. Oh, my God. Yep. So it's not even like the killer doing this. This is a fucking reporter. Nope. This is just a random ass reporter. Oh, looking my God. For, like she hadn't even gotten a phone call from the fucking cops. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was bad. And after which, she obviously hung up. Well, but then... She, I wouldn't have even believed it. Like, she didn't. She refused to believe it like, for a long call. time. Yeah. Like, who, who the fuck are you? How are you going to verify that in the 40s? Exactly. Can't so Google it. It took actually having someone call her from the police department. To verify that they believed it was her daughter, that they needed her to come out and identify the body. Oh, God. For her to, like, let it sink in that her daughter might actually not be okay. And in the 40s, like, you know, I live far away from my family, mm-hmm. like my immediate nuclear family. But right. we have text, texts, we call, we, like, you know, we're in touch. They know what's going on. They mm-hmm. know what's up with me. And... Uh, Honestly, like if my mom wanted to, she could see where I was at any time. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I'm good with that. But th- this was nowhere near possible in the 40s. Correct. And so I'm assuming it just was a lot of faith and hope that she was okay most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then she was getting letters from Phoebe saying things are great, even when they weren't always great. And so as far as she knew, things were great, you know. But when the L.A. police did ask her to identify her daughter, she knew she had to start to let it sink in and start to believe it. So Phoebe called her eldest daughter, Virginia, and they both went out to L.A. I think this was a good idea because Phoebe was like, I will be damned if I let my last memory of my daughter be her deceased body. Mm -hmm. And Virginia actually hadn't seen Beth in so long that she couldn't identify her. Wow. And this is her older sister? Yeah, the oldest sister. So. The first of the five. Okay, gotcha. And Virginia was like, oh, shit, like, I, I think so. Right. But I, I don't know. And then Phoebe did have to go in anyway to do it because she was there and could. Right. And she confirmed. It took a while, but she confirmed. And then Beth's fingerprints were actually in the system. So right. they were able to confirm, confirm that way as well. Right. So we're going to put a little pin there and we're going to unpin from Phoebe. We're going to put a little pin in Phoebe and we're going to unpin from Beth. Okay. All right. So last we saw her, she was just working a little job at her as a waitress and like looking for movie stardom and Mm -hmm. talking to boys and being a 22 year old, you Mm -hmm. know? And a very attractive one at that. Yeah. She was so cute. She had like these piercing blue eyes and this pretty brown hair and, um, People liked her. They all said that she was beautiful. Like, she was striking. And so, we're going to talk about her last day. On her last day scene, Beth had been seeing a new man's. Mm-hmm. And so, this man was named, uh, quote-unquote, Red Manly. Red. Yes. He went by Red. I think there was a longer name. But it was a bit controversial. Um. She said she was meeting her sister at a hotel for lunch. So after they had been done, like, seeing each other, he dropped her off there. And a few patrons at the actual hotel saw. At the actual hotel said that they saw her use the phone. And then later in the evening, she was seen at a Crown Grill cocktail lounge on South Olive Street. Okay, so she was out with Red, tells him that she's going to go visit her sister at a hotel. Yep. He Even drops her off no at the hotel. There. Okay. No one's there that we know of. Okay. And then a few people see her use the phone. Okay. And then she goes up the street to the bar, okay. which like, it's I kind of get that. Yeah. For me personally, uh, if I'm ever driven somewhere by someone I don't entirely trust, I don't let them see my home. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't. Oh, uh, drop me off here in this very public place. Oh my gosh. On the worst date of my life. I know. Um, I made the guy drop me off at a dorm across campus so that he wouldn't know where I actually stayed. Because I was like, you're either a really nice guy with a very 
big series of unfortunate events that happened tonight or you're the biggest creep and I don't want you to know where I live. <laughs> big so, <laughs> series of unfortunate events. It was oh, a lot. It was, it was a swing and a miss, huh? A, a heavy miss. It oh. was not good. Um, but I also just think like, I, I totally get that. Smart. Yeah, that could be anybody, especially if it's someone new you're seeing. Like, oh, hey, like, all right, I'm going to go meet my sister. Like, it was great to see you. Bye. Yes. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe she called her sister on the phone. We don't know mm-hmm. who she was on the phone with. And then she was like, all right, let's go. I'll get a drink. Go home. Mm-hmm. You know? So, hey, hey, party people. Uh, I'm about to describe the actual day she was found. And Beth's body was quite mutilated when it was found. So skip ahead if you need to. This is pretty graphic. So, six days later, on January 15th, 1947. So, she was last seen on January 9th. Okay. It's now January 15th. Okay, so almost a week. Yep. A woman is walking with her three-year-old daughter through a park. The woman initially thought that she'd come across a mannequin because she had seen a white body post in two different pieces separated from torso and bottoms. and the child was like oh like that lady needs help and the mom was like oh that's not a lady that's a mannequin like at the store where you buy your clothes and the kid was like oh okay and she was like all right well i'm gonna go look at it really quick i didn't know mannequins bled well um no beth was not bleeding she actually had been entirely cleaned her hair was freshly shampooed oh fuck she had well that's (laughs) worse oh it's a lot worse Beth, again, was severed into two pieces, torso in one area with her hands sort of above her head in like a 90 degree. Like at 90 degree angles? Yeah. Yeah. So kind of above her head and then her bottoms, which were about a foot in another direction, were entirely spread open and naked. Oh. There were slashes on her thighs and her breasts. Um not confirmed nor denied, but I saw many a news article that did mention she had a rosebud tattoo on her hip that had been taken out and actually placed in her genitalia. Um, oh, she had entire chunks of flesh missing as well as the slashes. Her nipples had been cut off. She had a Glasgow grin carved into her face, which I didn't know that had a name to it, but it's basically the Joker one. So she had like slashes from her mouth corners to her ears. Yeah. One was like three inches. The other one was just a little under it. Like, unfortunately I'm looking at the autopsy photos and that is very, very gruesome and intense. Yes. And I'm not going to look at it anymore. It's not great. No, that's horrific. No. And so, again, it should be noted for her to be this white, elusive body in the grass. She had to be entirely drained of her blood. She had to be cleaned. She was like brushed off. There were no fingerprints anywhere. Her hair is not matted with blood or anything from that. Or Nope. And it was fucking traumatic. I cannot imagine being the three year old who was with your mom saying that. I can't imagine being the mom who's got your child there. Yes. So it was definitely controversial. It was definitely posed. She suffered tremendously. We don't know what she suffered from, but she suffered tremendously, clearly. Oh, God. And so reporters got there wicked quick. Um, In fact, so quick that they were there before police. Oh, what the hell? Uh Uh-huh. It was really bad. So detectives also got there quick, though, which I'll commend them for. And in investigating, not only obviously did they find everything we just found, they did find that she had some of her intestines tucked neatly behind her bottoms. Oh. They also found a heel print right next to some tire prints. Okay. And they found what looked like a, this is icky sounding, but it looked like watery blood in some sort of cement like box or contraption thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're not really sure what that's about, but that's what they find there around her. Okay. So she obviously gets an autopsy because people are like, what in the fucking fuck? Correct. Just period. Yeah. And Fred Newbar was the autopsy clinician for, I believe it was the county Mm -hmm. as a whole. I think that's how they split them up at the time. But Fred Newbar is the one who did this. And I'm actually really glad that he did because he was very thorough. 
So obviously he started out basics. She is 5'5", 115 pounds, blue eyes, brown hair, beautiful. Her teeth were decomposing, were not doing well. Okay. Also, he noted that she probably died late the day prior because it was about 10 a.m. when she was found. And he thought that she was about 10 hours dead. Okay. So either late the night prior, early in the morning, somewhere around midnight. Okay. She also had been cut in half by a technique that Fred called a hemicorporectomy. Hemicorporectomy. Essentially, which is where your spine is severed in the lower lumbar ve- like vertebrae. So mm-hmm. you have a few of those and it's between the second and third. Okay. And when you do that, it also cuts your intestines because of the location mm-hmm. and where it is. So it's really only used in really, really severe cases of like leg trauma or missing limbs or some sort of trauma to the body that way it's almost never used if there's any chance of like reconciling any of the use of your lower body because obviously you're like fucking it up and that's a medical term also all of these cuts were really neat so there's a lot of thought that it was potentially someone with medical information beyond even that of just a butcher because they were talking about the ways the different cuts would have been seen i just can't imagine in a medical setting where that cut would be required i imagine it would probably be something like paraplegia if you're you know you're in a war and your entire like bottom half is messed up but i don't know if there's a way to do it where you don't have to cut through the intestine or where you don't die because that just seems like, how can you? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm still on that. Sorry. So um, I thought that was really interesting, specifically the part where the cuts were different enough that they knew it wasn't a butcher. Mm-hmm. That's where I was like, that that's fascinating. Like it was strictly like a medical procedure they might have done then. Right. That they had to know about somehow. Okay. And also she had a four inch cut from her belly button down. Okay. I don't know what that was about. I don't know if that was to get access to like organs or something. Ouch. No idea. Oh, God. I hope she wasn't alive for any of this. It doesn't seem like it, okay. which is good because there was not a lot of bruising. So. Yeah. So he said he saw. So Fred saw he saw little bruising, which basically meant he was pretty sure it was done after she passed, like after she passed. Um, but. He measured the little cuts. He did say one of the cuts from her mouth to her ear was three inches, the other two and a half. And he did find bruising on her skull and some hemorrhaging in her cranium. Mm -hmm. So basically, there's like a couple of layers of your skull for, you know, padding for your little electric jello (laughs) brain. Mm -hmm. And he found bruising in the second or third layer down in the skull. And then he actually reported the official cause of death was a brain hemorrhage. Okay. From what seemed to be consistent with, you know, blunt force trauma. Mm-hmm. So they think she was hit in the head and then things happened to her. Which kind of makes sense. They had to have... Kind of makes sense because the offender had to have enough time to drain her body, to clean it up, to stage it, to make all of these things happen. Like actually do the cutting, all of that. And then he cleaned, I'm saying he, but whoever the offender is, cleaned this body so well, they used gasoline that removed all of the fingerprints, I believe. Seriously? Yeah. Jesus. I believe there were a few partial prints left over, but from what they could recover, none of it was like traceable in their system. So Mm -hmm. either they had never been in the system or it wasn't enough of a fingerprint. Right. So basically... Whoever it was really took their fucking time. Right. And if she's alive or moving, that's not happening. Right. And God, though, the part that makes me so sad for her is that this is a week later. She had been dead for what? Ten hours. Yeah. So what happened in those six days? Yeah. What did she have to deal with between January 9th and January 14th? That's what makes my little heartache. Here's the last part of really bad news. Okay. Yeah. So they also believe that she was raped. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this makes sense considering she was naked outside in two pieces. But also, and this is a little 
visual. Um, but her anal canal was dilated at an inch and three quarters. Okay. If you can picture she was that. definitely assaulted. And they took samples for sperm, but like I said, if she had been cleaned that well, it does not surprise me that they did not find any. Right. Um, they couldn't even find a fingerprint. So, like, right. I'm not shocked at that at all. But the last and disturbing on yet another level part of this autopsy did report that there was fecal matter found in Beth's stomach. Oh. Which essentially leads you to believe that she was forced to ingest that. Oh, what the hell? This is like reminding me of Fan's case. Yeah. In the Hello Kitty. Just that piece alone yeah. is just the torture and then being discarded. So this is just the autopsy. Oh, God. We're going to put a little pin there. And we're going to go back to Phoebe. Poor Phoebe. This woman had to deal with so fucking much. <laughs> Seriously, So though. much. If she had to see the face of her daughter and what I just looked up. Mm-hmm. Absolute nightmares and it does not get better Mm. so okay obviously i'm just gonna recount this because this woman again fucking badass just deserves all of the credit in the world raised five daughters alone in the great fucking depression Mm -hmm. husband she assumed took his own life ended up lying to her for over a decade and and started over with someone new fucking all off you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and then she has to find out that her daughter's life is taken through that ass hats interrogation on the phone and then (laughs) if that wasn't enough after she had that call before she came out she was told by the la times i believe it was it might have been the la expert but a news source Mm -hmm. that they were going to help fire out they're super sorry for the inconvenience of that ass hat and they were going to help her get connected and she could, like, help with the case. Mm-hmm. And that was a fucking lie because that was just another news source that wanted to get her story before the cops did. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those people should be arrested. Then <laughs> she finally gets there. And if all of this wasn't enough, if having to identify her dead, mutilated daughter's body wasn't enough, news outlets went shit over this case they called her the black dahlia because the blue dahlia had just come out it was like a movie and she had been wearing like like a tight black skirt and they thought she was like super promiscuous okay so it's just an insulting name that they've assigned to her yep and that of course is far more known than her actual name correct which is fucked up and so Reports start coming out stating that she had last been seen in a tight miniskirt and a sheer blouse and that she was a sexual adventurer who prowled Hollywood Boulevard and that she must have been like a sex fiend, which I can offer all of those journals a big fat fuck you, Mm -hmm. like the biggest fattest fuck you right in your face, you asshats. The biggest fattest fuckest you. You don't do that. Her... She was already exploited and mutilated and assaulted and murdered at 22 years old at 22 just for trying to fucking be a human being just for being a waitress. Yep. On Hollywood Boulevard. And you know what? If she lied a little bit from now and then to her mom to make her not worry or if she told the tall tale about a boy liking her. It's none of your goddamn business. Like, I'm sorry. It's not. And that doesn't mean that she deserved what was coming for her. And it doesn't mean that she asked for any of this. So the idea that she has been so demonized in so many of those surface level ones, just basically saying she was like flippant and never did anything to give back to anyone and didn't like anyone. And yeah, just they're, lied all the they're saying she deserved it, even though, yeah. first of all, no. Second of all, there's no reason to believe that she did any sex work or right. anything that would like <laughs> literally nothing that they use that name for. So we're not I'm, I'm not here to sit and say that I'm comfortable repeating any information from people that just slander people to sensationalize their deaths and make money. Mm-hmm. I will be honest. I did use some LA times articles, just they are more recent. They are not the LA times that were back in the day. Right. If I could have found that I would have linked it just so that you could see it, but I wouldn't repeat anything that came out of their mouths. Cause it was about money for them. And I'm not, I mean, it still is, but at least now it might be a little more factual than what they were getting at at the time. Right. Or just a little more fucking considerate. Mm-hmm. to anyone 
Like we don't need, I don't know. It, it really rubs me the wrong way to see a woman who could have been anyone. She was just literally just a human trying her best. And so incredibly mutilated, raped. You can tell she was tortured. You can tell there was a struggle leading up to that death. For that to be the case and for them to say, yep, she deserved that because she wore a tight shirt. Mm -hmm. They can go fuck themselves. Correct. So somehow all of this is still not the craziest part of the story. Shut up. No. (laughs) I'm not as familiar with this as I thought I was because this is like all news to me. I cannot shut up. Somehow... (laughs) I don't, it's just the aftermath is really what made this the legend that it is because not for nothing, but we see women that are shit on all day long in news articles for being victims of crime. Mm -hmm. So that was not really like the crazy part. I mean, it sucked. It should never have happened. But it's not shocking. Right. Sure. So really, I think what makes the Black Dahlia the legend that it is today is the aftermath. It has really become like a legend in with the 40s, Hollywood culture, sort of all of the crimes that happened back in Hollywood, Hollywood, sort of in that golden era. The old glitz and glam. So first, on January 21st, a call was made to the editor of the L.A. Times. Okay. The call was straight to the editor. Random guy. We don't know who he is. Said they did a great coverage of the crime, but... They were running out of material. Uh, And the editor was like, yeah, I guess so. And the guy who called was like, I can help with that. And the editor was like, how? And he goes, well, let's just say I have some of. Oh, let's see. They said something like the L.A. Times could expect some souvenirs soon. Oh, what the hell? So on January 24th. Three days later, a post office worker found a weird yellow manila envelope addressed to the L.A. Times. In, a, in this big envelope, it says, here is Dahlia's possessions, letter to come later. And this, I think, is also where we see, like, the emergence of the creepy serial killer letters that are all, like, magazine letters clipped out. Right. Because that is exactly what this is. By oh, the way. okay. It wasn't, like handwritten or anything it was nope. clippings taken oh, yeah okay mm-hmm. in the packet was beth's birth certificate how the fuck do they have some that? of her business cards and photographs as well as an address book with the name mark hansen so the entire package had been wiped clean with gasoline much like her her and destroyed any dna or fingerprints this led the police to believe that this was likely done by the same person sure. right kind of the same mo and on the same fucking day also january 24th just two miles from where beth was found a handbag and a black suede shoe were found on top of a garbage can in an alley also wiped clean with gasoline okay they eventually worked through some of this evidence so a lot of what i'm about to talk about happened sort of in succession So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw a little note in here and say that the man that Beth was seeing at the time read, he actually did confirm that the shoe was hers and the bag was hers. And he said the bag still faintly smelled like her, Oh, which is just sad. So by March 14th, six-ish weeks later, a pile of clothes was found at an edge of an ocean in a nearby neighborhood in Venice. The neighborhood is named Venice. They're not like in, you know what I mean? Yes. But it's like right on the coast. So these clothes are found right next to the ocean. And the note read, to whom it may concern, I have waited for police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am much too much. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in. So this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. Okay. The clothes included a coat and trousers with, and the trousers were like blue tweed, um, a brown and white t-shirt, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and tan moccasins, like a size eight. Okay. So, sounds like weird fashion, but whatever, the 40s be the 40s. Okay. Um, And it seems like maybe there was another 
set of clothes there. Like maybe they were working out and had street clothes or something. Because for some reason, the jockey shorts and trousers and a coat and a t-shirt just all feels like a lot. But we don't know. So all of these leads lead to dead ends. But we're just going to go over some of the brief ones. Okay. Okay. First, they spoke to Mark Hansen. They figured out who the fuck that was. Okay. He apparently is the man who owned the cocktail lounge that she was seen at last on the 9th. Oh, okay. He had motive because, according to some of her friends, he had recently made some sexual advances towards her that she rejected. Okay. But an alibi. How dare a woman say no to you? Very. How very dare you? So, although he was the owner of the cute little address book, and the cocktail lounge, he was cleared. Mm-hmm. That being said, that book gave them 77 other names to look through. So boy, did they. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. So I also wanted to talk about Red, who was the man that Beth was seeing. The manly man, if you will. The manly man. Huh. Um, Beth was dating him. And there was a little bit of controversy here. Okay, is he older? He sounds like he's got an old name. Red Manley just sounds very... believe he was a little bit older, but where the real controversy lies was in the fact that he was a married man. Oh, that'll do it. Beth was his girlfriend. Correct. So you can do that, you know, math. Math. Um, Yikes. And this obviously stirred up a lot of drama. Everybody wanted to add another piece into it because now this um, prowess on Hollywood Boulevard was dating a married man and how very dare she do that and thank, you know, a lucky stars that she didn't get to your husband first or something. I don't know. Well, and of course, you know, that's wrong, but are we not going to say that Red was cheating on his wife? Oh, like, no, Red was, but why couldn't he get the shit instead of well, her? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> because he's the married one. Yep. He's the one that took the vows. He made the commitment. Do we even know that Beth knew that he was married? We don't. Okay. We have none of that so confirmed. So let's... Let's look at red then, please. Imagine being red, right? You're like, I got this hot side piece. I'm married. I got all this shit. It's called like a fancy convertible. It's the fucking depression. And then his fucking side piece gets murdered. Yeah. Right? And then that's how his affair comes out. Yep. Like, imagine how pissed he was. Oh, yeah. What a piece of shit. (laughs) So, I'll also add, though, he was also cleared. Red had so many conversations and, in fact, was interrogated so many times that he had to clear his name. And this is not to make up for the things he did, but he actually ended up checking himself into a psychiatric ward in a nearby town, which, like, for the 40s, for a man to do that, Mm -hmm. probably had to be pretty bad. So I when we had those. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) I mean, the good and the bad, they weren't always... They weren't really done well, but well, we also really took away all of that funding and said, well, if we can't have any, we can't make all of them perfect. We'll just have none. I know. We said we know a lot of really bad things happen in these state run institutions and they did. Uh huh. But instead of trying to like reinvigorate them and make them better, we just said, let's get rid of them. What if we were like, let's not fund that. We have mental health meds that'll just do everything for us. And those meds are opium. Come get him. Ugh. No, I'm just kidding. That happened later in history, by the way. But, but anyway, sorry. I digress. It was ridiculous, but literally just wild for the time. But like, yeah, toxic masculinity extreme. Well, I'm just thinking old Hollywood where none of that would have been like known yeah. and discussed or anything. I mean, those things were happening every single day. They just were not talked about. Right. So this guy in front of everybody checks himself in to get mental health out hope is pretty rare yeah and you know i will fully for the sake of recognizing it when it's out there give him credit for that because i'm sure that was not an easy choice to do but i'm also sure that he was not having an easy time of it outside of that anyway so of course not i'm glad that he chose to do what was good for him regardless of whatever fuel that added to the fire he Mm -hmm. was in besides red many other people were cleared Including, as far as I know, all 77 clients in Mark's address book. Including one who was a shared acquaintance between Hanson and Beth, who was in Oregon with his father who was dying of kidney failure. So he also had a de- like decent alibi and sure. did not pan out. Okay. So all of these leads just go drier and drier 
And eventually this case gets so cold that a city councilman offered $10,000 for information that would lead to her killer. $10,000 in the 40s is a lot of money. Uh, that's over $120,000 today. Well, thank you for doing that little conversion for me. <laughs> From a freaking councilman. Wow. Like, ugh. So, of course, asshats will asshat. So, a bunch of people came out and started giving false confessions. Because they're like, fuck, I could use 120 grand. Or oh my God. 10 grand at You the think time. you were going to get that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If no. you were the killer? Fuck oh, that. Okay. So, some of these false confessions and the tales that they would tell just to potentially be considered for this money led to full-on charges of obstructing justice, which I'm like, good, they should. But also, how bad does it have to get for that to start happening? Because we see that enough as it is. Right. You know? And while I'm teetering on whether or not to do a part two, I do want to leave you guys with a few things. I want to do a part two if it's interesting and you guys are interested. And I'll go over all of the different theories and suspects that I know that we have. But I really want to wrap today up with just impressing on all of you to please look at your sources and where you get information. Because we always post ours, you know. And this is funny because today I actually got a lot of my information from the casual criminalist who is another true crime writer who I actually love very passionate and very there's like a great voice in the writings but also it's very focused on truth and accuracy which I am a super big fan of because everywhere you look in the story people are twisting the things she did the facts that we know to try to create a narrative of who this person was either to make it so that it's not as bad that she had to endure the suffering that she did or to make it extra bad that she did. But Beth was just a person. She had strengths and weaknesses and flaws and beauty. Eight ways to Sunday in every little niche of her human being. And I don't think that we give a lot of victims this credit. But really, when something becomes this wrapped in rumors and myth and legend it gets so hard to figure out what the actual details were and if we don't even know what the actual details were how the hell are we ever going to solve this like it's over 70 years old and chances are the guy who did it will probably get away with it and I only say guy because statistically that is the most probable but it could have been a woman as well just whoever did it there's a chance they're already gone you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that we are looking for a grave at this point. And maybe we'll find it and maybe we won't. But at the end of the day, continuing to impress upon everyone that where you get your information matters and what people say matters. Like we can't just continually spread this. I, I don't know. Allure of a legend of a Hollywood murder when she was not an actual like actress and doing anything at the time that was well known she wasn't famous she wasn't a household name she was literally just a girl trying to make it in LA mm -hmm. and then she was found mutilated like br like you can't unsee those photos like we're probably not going to include them because oh, you, we're not definitely you not can look them those. up but I'm not going to put that on you like you can't unsee that and it just, this whole, whole true crime case just really reminds me, please check your sources, make sure they're reputable, make sure that there's something to back them up because otherwise we're all just contributing spewing. to the issue. Yeah, we're contributing to the issue and we're just spewing somebody's twisted version of the truth that perpetuates the narrative they want and not the narrative that's true. Mm -hmm. So that being said. I also just want to leave you all with this. There is no evidence that she was sexually promiscuous, including the police who investigated every single person she'd ever dated. She'd actually only been sexually active with three of them. So there is no evidence of anything like that going on. It sounds like the first man that she talked to, Michael Matthew Michael Gordon mm -hmm. Jr., 
was real, but we, again, we don't have confirmation they never got married because he passed before he got back for they like for them to be able to do that. And I am interested in doing a part two on suspects, but I wanted to leave it here for now to sort of judge the interest. But also, for the too long, didn't read. I'll have a, a few things in here. First of all, does it matter what names we drag through the mud to talk about suspects that haven't panned out? It has been 70 years. None of these people actually have had enough of a case to arrest them, to charge them, anything like that. So I'm going to throw a few out there, but I'm not going to go super deep into them unless that is warranted. Also, how a girl who was doing her best was vilified after she was mutilated, tortured, raped, and murdered. It's on us, the consumer, to let the stories bashing characters of victims die. Nobody is less dead from what they did or didn't do in life. Just like nobody's more alive based on what they're doing. And I think we need to focus less on profession, race, class, religion, sexuality, or fucking whatever about the person when we're looking to find the truth. And while I understand that a victim is more than just a victim, there is a complexity in everybody's lives. And in criminal justice, we talk about victimology, which is less so the study of why people act the way they do or why the crimes happen, but why this person? And I understand that some of those questions are going to come up in those reports and understanding why this specific person was a victim. But does it need to be plastered all over everywhere? And we don't need to perpetuate that. So if you want any direction on where to go to look for more theories and suspects, I heavily, heavily recommend that casual criminalist that I mentioned. It's a wonderful place to start, but also I would recommend trying out a book called The Black Dahlia Shattered Dreams by Brenda Hahn. And also there is a man named Larry Harnish, And he wrote an entire book, like a really big deep dive on this. But he has a website, just www.lmharnish.com. And he has a bunch of information on there as well. So we can go deeper into this. I'm just going to throw a few out there. There is a ton out there. So if I do a separate episode, I'll obviously go in depth on these. But if you want to do a little research in the meantime, we have James Elroy. We have good old Cleo. He's a big suspect in this. And there's a theory called the eat well theory in reference to pew eat well. And lastly, we come to Larry Harnish theory. And you can obviously look that up in the book or on the website or in a part two if you guys want it. So I wanted to leave that here. Give you guys a little direction on where to go if you're interested in more, but you don't want a full deep dive. But I'm happy to do one if the interest is there. Well, I'm interested. So that's my vote. So the Black Dahlia, um, our little Beth, has been done so fucking dirty. She really has. Her whole life. It, it makes me sad. This is another one that's similar to John Bonet in that curious of like, how do we not know? But also... Everybody is exploiting this for their own gain. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me sad. Like, we don't need to perpetuate this problem anymore for people to make money off of an, like, a heartbreaking crime that happened 70 years ago. We've got enough going on now. So I just wanted to do her a little justice and start off 2023 with a case that really always ignites like more passion for me in this field because this is one of those like this is why I love doing this I want to bring the light to all of the pieces of the puzzle and Mm -hmm. not just the ones that are like fun and glamorous and spectacular and this case is like a literal spitting parallel of what the true crime world usually ends up being we have something nasty and gnarly and heartbreaking and gut-wrenching wrapped up into a pretty little bow with a fancy name called the Black Dahlia. And all of these untrue theories, suspicions, just flat-out statements about who she was and her character, and really not one of them knew her. Not one of them cared to try to figure out who she was. Yeah. If you guys can hear my cat, Mia feels very passionately about this. (laughs) She said, check your sources, you guys. Yes. Um, But I think that it's just important to talk about those things because 
there are so many things and well so many people and so many cases that certain individuals get vilified yes always it's the easiest to vilify people who aren't able to defend themselves and it's typically the victims and so in this case she can't protect herself or stand up for herself or anything and i feel like it's on us to make sure that we only are speaking the truth and yeah we're not big fans of the truth we that's all we want yeah we don't we don't want the fun exciting whatever we want what actually happened how can we get to the bottom of this where do we go from here and how do we make it the best with what we got and so far all i got is you know trying to leave our victims with their personality and their dignity intact Mm -hmm. so that even if we never find this person and she can't rest in peace that way maybe her name her story her legend can rest in peace a little bit more than it has so welcome to potentially part one of elizabeth short's murder well i think my vote is for a part two because i want to get into all the suspects um, let us know on our Instagram page or shoot us an email. Let us know if you also want a part two. Abby, where would they find our Instagram? Oh my gosh, great questions. They could open up like their little app or you can go online to Instagram.com and type in your little search box about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So it's A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period T-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. Correct. But if they wanted to send us like their own theories and suspects or ask for a case like we said we would absolutely do after episode 50, where could they email us at? So you would email us at a-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E numeric four T-C at gmail.com. So that's about time number four T-C at gmail.com. And you can put whatever you want in the subject line. If you want a case recommendation or your theory or anything, we love hearing from you guys. And um, Or your pod pets. Oh, please. Hello. That's just, that's just a given. We want more pod pets and pod cats and pod dogs and, yeah. and all that fun stuff. And, you know, check out the red bubble again, A-T-F-T-C pod. Yes, I have a fun pod pet parent sticker coming for you guys soon. So I'm so excited. I don't know. I'm really excited. We've been getting into it. I think 2023 is going to bring some good things for the ATFDC fam. So, you know, please do not forget to share with a friend, repost, tell somebody about it, and help us grow this badass bitch. Yes, rate and review. That is so important for podcast success. We've been learning, so we are so grateful for everybody who does, and we are hoping that all of you do, because we love spending our time with you, and we like to hear back from you on what you love spending your time with us on. Exactly. Yeah. I like it. So, why don't you guys go do that, because if I look at my watch, that was About About Time time for True Crime. Bye. Bye. Bye.